0: Guess I guess our thing is just gonna be no set intro. I guess we're just gonna bring it in randomly every time. Fuck it, right now. We're right. organic.
1: We do it organic here. There you go. We have
0: Ed Lattimore. We're gonna be chatting with today. He's a fascinating dude. He's he's been a lot of things in life. He was a, a professional boxer at one point. He's a best-selling author. Got a physics degree, and uh, more recently he's getting into competitive chess playing. He's working on another book right now.
1: Yeah, we talked about a lot of different things. True Renaissance man, and he definitely uh, shatters the the dumb fighter stereotype because, mm-hmm. uh, like, a couple of the guests we've had on the show, like you could tell, they're in, they're intelligent guys, and like you and me, we're we're well researched guys, and like I would say we're pretty smart in our own right. But then there's some some guests we talked to, and I'm like, dude, I am fucking stupid. Like when he's going on about some of the physics stuff, oh, you yeah. can tell he's he's a very smart guy, and just uh well-rounded dude super cool guy fun conversation i like the uh spirit science spin on things if you will if you want to call it that that we get into towards the end you could always count on you for
0: having the definition and the origin of words dude and i love it because i always learn some new shit like i never know the origin of these words and you always hit me with some crazy shit so it's cool dude I, i i appreciate that
1: i feel like uh the etymology of words and you know the origins of words and looking back as far as you can even when it comes to like names or you know places names and shit like that that's a good way to you know try and go all the way back and sometimes it leads to speculating and maybe it's not uh you know as accurate or i'm reading into it i like to think i've uncovered quite a bit of things with that and when it comes to the l cool thing yeah that's uh that's very real and it's very telling i would say
0: You'll hear the conversation we had regarding it, how you tie it all into the spirits, and yeah, it's uh, it's good shit, but before we uh, get into the Ed Lattimore conversation, if you're a fan of the podcast, or whether it's your first time here, we appreciate you, no matter what. If you are liking what we're putting down, though, please uh, go ahead and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening to us on, as well as uh, give us a follow, like, subscribe, all the social media platforms, X... Instagram, YouTube, we have a Patreon that we're going to start really kicking up, getting some more content on, and uh, we appreciate all the listeners that we have worldwide, so us being, you know, a fairly new podcast, we really do appreciate all the listeners, we have a ton of listeners from uh, the Oceania area, which is like Australia, New Zealand, we have a lot of listeners in Asia, Europe, uh, North America, some in Africa, so it's literally all over the fucking world, dude. Not too many in South America we're not really representing there, so don't know what's going on. But uh maybe we need to get some uh Spanish guests out or something. I don't know. Maybe some mamacitas. Really?
1: <laughs> we uh we haven't had a female guest just yet, so we maybe we gotta get a little more inclusive here. Yeah. The uh the fact that we have had such uh widespread listeners and as much as support as we've had so far with being a pretty new podcast definitely greatly appreciated we want to hear from you guys we want you to reach out to us if you want to be on the podcast you want to nominate someone that you want to be a guest on the show nominate, definitely reach nominate. out to us on social media
0: <laughs> nominate that's a funny way of putting it yes shoot us uh, an email conspiracyandchill yahoo.com hit one of us up on social media or you can hit the podcast up at two truth seekers or you can hit mr higgins up or myself up, uh, go ahead and do all of those, one of those, whichever way is easiest for you if you do have a suggestion, or you just want to uh, shoot the shit, because Tom's not just saying we want to build a community here, we really do want to build a community of like-minded individuals, because if you are like Tom, and you are like me, and you are like Mystic Mark, and a lot of these guys out here in this community... It could be lonely when you're trying to express these ideas with loved ones. So, uh, yeah, come on. Let's build a fucking community, guys. And girls.
1: Yeah, let's get it. Not we so gotta much we got to get girls. our first female guest on here.
0: Mm-hmm. Preferably a hot mamacita.
1: <laughs> yeah, we won't be complaining about that. Maybe we'll have to wait till we get some video on.
0: Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, that might, uh, yeah. That might be the breast course of action, if you, you know what I'm saying. Entice
1: the, uh, entice the people to get on that Patreon. Mm-hmm. We're all human.
0: You know who else is human? Who's that? Ed Lattimore.
1: Great guy. One of a kind human, for sure.
0: Enjoy. Yeah, so we got Ed Lattimore. You are a former heavyweight boxer. You're a best-selling author. You have a physics degree, and you're a competitive chess player, which I just found super awesome. I'm a huge... I'm not good, but I love chess. So welcome. I'm I'm
2: getting better. I'm I'm not not as good as I should be yet, but I am... uh, As I learn how to learn chess more i get better at chess but that, that's like anything is you learn how to learn it i think people forget that that's a, a very important component of of improving you have to know the know what it takes you know there's like the general here's how we get better at stuff and then there are the specifics just how you get better at this thing
0: you've kind of taken that approach into a lot of different areas. You know, like I said, you, you were a former heavyweight boxer, super successful at that. Uh, you're a best-selling author, so obviously you've done well for yourself in that regard. You got a degree in physics, so it speaks for itself. And, uh, you know, now you're getting into the, to the realm of competitive chess. So is that something that you kind of look for, like the next big challenge for yourself?
2: Uh, You, you know what it really comes down to is, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I, I grew up, I mean, about as poor as you can grow up in America, I'm always careful to say in America because now that I've, I've traveled around, I've seen some places, um, we live like kings, even our poor people do, it's, it's wild. But but that doesn't mean it's like easy, I just mean it in the grand scheme of things. But uh, I bring that up to say, there were a lot of things I could not do when I was a child. and Like all of my interests, uh, I, I never got a chance to... to partake in any of them. It wasn't until I got to high school where I could like, you know, do things that I wanted to do. And even still, I couldn't really do them. And I can only do them because I could, you know, work and pay for myself. So, so pretty much what my life is now is like, okay, here are these things that I found interesting when I was like 14 or 15, but I, I either didn't have the funds or I didn't have the support to go into them. And now that I do, what I've pretty much done in my, my adult life is figure out how to do them and see if, you know, if I want to stick with it or go go long or or maybe I'm just not cut out for it. But really, if you just keep sticking with one thing and you stay focused, you can go pretty far. Like, like you know, no, maybe like marginal natural athletic ability, like marginal, I found out, you know, uh, talking to some guys and I'm like, you know, but I I think I went, it did, did pretty well as, as both an amateur and a professional fighter and, and like marginal math, worse than marginal math ability. You know, I, I failed math like badly the, to the point where I didn't actually technically graduate from high school, but that's another story. Uh, but to go on and get get my physics degree there, you know, I was push myself and see what I can do. And get better. So, so it's not that I'm looking for the next thing. I'm always looking for a thing that will challenge me, and it will, and will, and is like interesting as well. Like, let me throw, and and do the things that I couldn't do when I was younger.
0: And Pittsburgh, right? You grew up in Pittsburgh. How was how was growing up?
2: I growing up it was was, you know, I, I divide my childhood into two time periods, uh, prior to high school and high school. You know, before and after high school. Uh, before high school, I didn't really have a lot of fun. I, I didn't like things, you know, because I went to so so I I grew up in in a public housing project, and the way those schools break things down, you go to school with people in your neighborhood, and so I went to school with people in my neighborhood are like the neighboring poor neighborhoods. Some of which were projects, others were just like really low class. Like barely working class uh, neighborhood, so I went to school with a lot of those people, and and I didn't really, I like I'm I'm just not that dude. Um, it, the way I was designed, built, whatever, subtle influences from from the influences I did have, uh, and and I didn't enjoy things. Now when I got to high school, it was a lot different because I went to high school in a magnet program, so I had to apply to get in and all that good stuff, and and when I went there, that that high school was. I think it it took me an hour to get there and an hour to get home. So I spent two hours a day traveling, but it was in a completely different part of town. And it was with people in a completely different social economic background. Like people don't believe me when I tell them. But but high school was the first time that I knew anyone where like both of their parents were around, like at home, for example. Or or I met anyone that uh, didn't live in a, like they weren't poor. I mean, like not rich. I mean, there were some rich kids because of the way the school worked, but most of them, they just weren't poor. And it was a really interesting uh, dynamic to see what a family looks like and what friends were like from different, you know, backgrounds. And my friends, I always say I was the the beneficiary of positive peer pressure. I just happened to to become friends with a group of kids, like none of them drank in high school or anything like that. I, I had a great time, uh, a great childhood after when I, when I turned 14 and I stopped spending, I mean, I, I didn't even spend holidays at home mostly. I had, my friends really were like my surrogate family. So that's um, what it was like for me growing up here.
0: You mentioned uh, influences. Who were some of your influences growing up?
2: Oh, uh, growing up, I didn't have, you know, before 14, I didn't, I didn't have anything. I, I knew what I didn't want to be. That's pretty much mm-hmm. it. Like, you know a lot most of my family I'm trying to think um on my mom's side i don't think i know anybody who hasn't served some degree of a prison sentence uh, or didn't have like multiple baby daddies or things like that uh they they there were people i didn't want to be like and on my dad's side um more or less the same thing. Not not so much with the prison part, but lots of of uh, negligence in other ways, and and still, you know, in the projects or not not being around. So I didn't I didn't have any influence there. But when I got to high school, you know, I it, it was it, it's not like they were role models, but it it was a small change that at the beginning didn't do much, but over the course of my life being around these people really, really just made a difference and helped me see that there was, there was a different way to, to be. Of course you resisted at first cause you don't know anything else. Hmm. Uh, and, and it's not like they were like forcing values on me. It's just that I didn't, it, it was, it was a confusing time for me because you know, on the one hand I'm coming from this, this background where there's, uh, you know, like like food is more or less rationed. Like when you're on public assistance, you, you got what you get in, until the next month. And so it's not a ration in the purest sense, but it's, you know, you better be careful. Uh, and meanwhile, I go to my friend's house and they're able to, you know, have, let me come over for dinner every night. And it's not a big deal to have extra food and stuff like that. Uh, and like I had one, you know, my dad died. He actually had a life insurance policy. And I got like $55,000 when I was 18.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and one of my dad's, or one of my friend's dad, so he was like, you know, you should do X, Y, and Z with the money. I just had no concept of saving, investing, and really the future. Kind of like, you know, most people who come up from that, the background does. And and I wish I had listened to him. Right. You're 18 but... <laughs> too, though, you know? You're 18. Yeah. So it's a... It's, uh it's just not going it just didn't work but over time you know i was like you know you guys i, I tell them all the time I'm randomly on facebook whenever i'm i'm thinking of stuff I'm like you guys you know you you changed and saved my life who knows who i would have turned into how'd you get into boxing that's what i'm oh that, that, uh, man that's another another story of just random um influences not from where i came. so i didn't start boxing until i was 22 okay which is like you know kind of old but for the heavyweight division not that old because right. you, your body has to grow and mature into that size uh, which is why you see a lot of these guys come from other sports you like if you if you box from a child as it's from from young younger days unless you're like six five you're not re- gonna become a heavyweight It's just, you just don't carry enough muscle and then the way training is you don't put that muscle off right uh, so at, at 22 I was, I was dating this girl and I had already, I had tried college and got kicked out and I was drinking and I was going to, uh, I wasn't going anywhere. I was, I was working at Starbucks. That's what I was doing. And, and I used to like rail against college all the time, like how ridiculous it was. And I still think it's ridiculous is Now I got a degree and I really can't <laughs> can't argue with me um on or at least you have to form a stronger argument than you're just mad you don't have a degree you didn't do it i'm like ah, all right <laughs> but uh, at that at that point i didn't and and this didn't go over too well with the girl's mom i was dating because she was a college professor Oof. and and one day she said to me she said well let, let's pretend you're right and colleges is worth this? Tell me what you've done with your life in the past four years other than show up to my house and eat my food. And then she threw me out. And I was like, I was, you know, I shed a man tear and I was sad about it. But, but she was absolutely correct. And I didn't have any sweat equity. Like if I died that day, you know, what would you be able to say about me? (laughs) You know? So, I started looking around for things to do to kind of, uh, just really not be a boring dude and not be like just a, a typical lame, not going anywhere. And, and I settled on two ideas. I was going to either enlist in the army and go, go full-time active duty. But that, that's when we were invading Iraq and we were just throwing bodies at the problem. And I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> I don't want to change that much. Uh, <laughs> And, and the other option was I was like, you know, YouTube had just come out and I was watching fight videos on the on YouTube and I said, you know, I could try this out. And and I had no idea what, what it could be, but it was something other than what I was doing and it was sweat equity somewhere. Like, like you ever see the old most interesting man in the world commercials? Oh, and yeah. he's like, you know, it's never too early to start beefing up your obituary. That always stuck with me. And... And that's how I looked at, at boxing. I was like, you know, it's never too early to start beefing up my obituary. So uh, I got into it and started started training. My, my first year, I didn't know which which discipline I'd stick with. So for every, what well, was for six out of seven days in a week, I was training at either a boxing class, a was it the boxing, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class, or an MMA one. And I just did it all. I've, got, I've actually got two amateur MMA fights. Lost them both, but like, it was a it was a good a good exposure and i said i'm gonna stick with boxing because it, it just made sense for I, I weighed out all the pros and cons and tried to look at the future and i said all right boxing is really the best thing for me to do so that's that's how that happened
1: did you uh get into a lot of scraps as a kid or was there a reason uh, that I you
2: fought. boxing <laughs> um so, so the reason I thought boxing was good is because I, I was uh, an all right football player. It was really fast, really athletic, really strong. So I said, all right, how how can I use that now that I'm not playing uh, sports, not in college and not in high school? And that was my, my thought. I said, all right, combat sports. Because like the cool thing about combat sports, Is that you don't have to be like enrolled in an institution somewhere to do them you just show up do them go down to and then then, you know pay your fees to usa boxing if you're an amateur or or to whatever athletic commission is when you're a pro and you can you can take a fight so it's 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 a there's not as high of a barrier to entry for someone in fact i would i would say that if you're not if you don't start playing a sport when you're younger the other sports, you you're, you can't pick up basketball and hope to get to a, a high level when you're 19. It's just not going to happen. If for any other reason, you know, aside, uh, aside from the competition, I mean, aside from the barriers in place, like the competition, because the things are more skill-based there's organizations and things you got to do. But... uh that's the one reason I chose boxing. The other reason, you know, the other thing you brought up that I that I scrap a lot. I fought a lot as a kid. Like not after 14 because I was no longer in that environment. But I, I did fight a lot as a kid. But it but it was never like let me go and pick a fight because I hate I hated fighting, man. I didn't want to like bang with people. Uh, but I I also knew that if I if I wasn't willing to bang with people then my life is going to get a lot harder every day. You know, once you are identified as prey, predators start treating you that way. So you can't ever let yourself be seen as a weak link. They have to know that they, you know, they may win the fight, whatever, right? But they gotta know that there's a cost to messing with you. And if, if there's no cost that will be enacted, then, <laughs> You're gonna have a hard time, man. A hard time, and I didn't want a hard time. You know, uh, growing up, growing up in, in, in the projects in the school I went to, it's amazing how similar a lot of that is to like, I think, prison dynamics. I've never been to jail, but from what I hear, because you know, like my neighborhood it was—it was a gated community. You know, there was there was there were like three ways, and then they were all gated with with security, and 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 those same ways out. Everyone knew. Everyone, where everyone lived. Uh, once they knew that you weren't going to fight back, then you would be that person they would pick on. They would try and take stuff from. Them. They would try and bully. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things my mom did really well, you know, she was like, you know, you get into a fight with somebody, you know, you don't run. You we're gonna go back out there and fight them. They they gotta know. She didn't understand the dynamic, I think. I think it was just something all people who grew up in this environment more or less uh, intuitively grasp. It's just that you you can't let yourself be punked, be bullied or anything like that. Because it's not like they get satisfied. It's like, you know, once somebody realizes they can take advantage of you, it's going to keep taking advantage of you. And I said that it's like that, but that's human nature, unfortunately.
1: I can uh, speak the same. I've always hated bullies and I never started a fight in my life, but... uh I was a skater when I was growing up and being a skateboarder, just a bunch of punk unsupervised kids hanging out at the skate park. It's bound to happen and you're going to get into it here and there. And I had my fair share of, uh, scraps growing up. Something else you said too, about the, uh, the fact that you can kind of just, you know, make your own path within combat sports. And I've said it quite a few times when we've talked to other fighters on the show that, uh, there's a large crossover between, uh, having alternative views or you know being more open-minded and being willing to take the path of you know stepping into a combat arena and it's a uh, it's one of the few avenues that like there's very little outside uh influence like other sports other like businesses or jobs or whatever it's about who you know or how uh how your social yeah. networking is and with when it comes to fighting it really is for the most part outside of maybe the referees or other things man to man it's you and the work you've put in, you and your mentality, your spirit versus the other guys. So I've always loved that aspect of it. And it just lends itself well to having a a strong or a unique mindset.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always say <laughs> there's nothing quite like boxing or any combat sport. I should say combat sport. When I say combat sport, because I get a lot of flack for this when I talk about it. Uh, on social media, when I say combat sport, I'm talking about striking, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and all that and wrestling has its place. But uh, the, the big difference between those activities and ones where there is striking is that in those activities, striking is penalized. In the striking arts, that's how the score is kept. So, so no matter what, like that's how the damage is done, and that's how one determines who is winning the fight, is is the damage required. And there's something very unique about that. Yeah, you got to be in shape to wrestle and all that, but you got to be in shape to run a marathon. You know, you got to be, <laughs> you don't have to be, you don't have to develop this this capacity to push through pain and not just push through like the pain of being exhausted, but like when someone is trying to hurt you and you are you are dead tired like you got to fight back you have to learn to manage your adrenaline under the threat of like very real negative consequences if you don't do well there's there's something that that just uh, there's something about all of that which is why I think all combat sports are a great Analogy for life, and if you can, if you can manage to to do it, and do it well, and let let it transform you. Not everyone lets it transform them. They keep thinking they could, they could fuck around and, and and do drugs and drink and stuff and compete. uh And, and, and maybe there's like a, an incredibly gifted athlete out there. You know, your you, John Jones man. Maybe like you you can do coke and get out there and compete for for a while, but. But you got to let it clean you out if you want to be good, if you're like most people. You know, when you defend a strike, it hurts. That's <laughs> something that a lot of people don't understand. It's not the only difference is whether it disrupts your conscious or your equilibrium and your, your consciousness. But, but it all hurts. Like, it's all very, very painful. And you learn to push through that. And there's, there's a lot of, lot of analogies to that in just general living.
1: When it comes to chess, I'm not really a chess player myself. I've always kind of wanted to get more into it, but unfortunately I don't have uh, much experience in it. How would you say the uh, crossover between the tactics of boxing when it comes to having to manage the offense and the defense all at the same time and then going into a chess career? What do you think is Uh, the uh, crossover?
2: Well, the first, uh, the crossovers, uh, you know, there's a lot of frustration when you don't get something right and you keep losing for the wrong you know you're like why did i lose there why did i lose there the the frustration of wanting to improve and and coming up against your limits that is that is very real so unlike unlike the um the combat sports chess is continually evolving like like i've got a theory i'm not i'm not so sure about mma because I, I don't know it know that world that well but but boxing uh, from a skill perspective is oh man, it, it is degraded it, it's compared to like you know thirty, forty years ago, every other sport. Everyone's getting better because the knowledge is is constantly tested, and if it doesn't work, it's thrown out because there's so much money involved. No one wants to make a mistake. Everyone's trying to keep a job. It, it's a it's a competitive environment, so everyone continues to get better over time, and you see that in the metrics of the athletes. They continue to get bigger, stronger, faster, right? um, and faster. All right, and in boxing, it's like the opposite. It's weird. How does this relate to chess? Chess is a lot like the These sports where there is continual improvement because there's there's a share of knowledge and no one claims to have a a grasp on their tactics. Like if you ever talk to like boxing coaches, they they treat their methods like it's gospel and just assume that, you know, not everyone's going to make it. And and like imagine if you were even a high school football coach of a, of a, of a decent program, and your your philosophy was you know well well you know, last year we went we went uh, ten and zero because we had this guy this guy and this guy but this year you know, we're going to be fine with two and two and eight or, or three and seven and the board's going to be cool with that or a college program will be cool with that if you were coach you'd be out of a job and they get the next guy. In boxing, there's no such filtering mechanism, no competitive pressure. There isn't chess. So in chess, I have to, you know, if I if I take too much time off from training, like I, I lose so many games in a row, it's kind of embarrassing. And and that's because everyone's always trying to learn and get better. Even even your uh even your casual players who don't study. They're just by virtue of, of being able to get so much time in. But other than that, uh, other than the the comparison between kind of the development of the abilities of the practitioners, they're just very different. You know, like I wish I could come up with some, some philosophical spin about the similarities between boxing and chess. And I've tried, believe me, I've tried. And, <laughs> and there are some in terms of like. Like for example, you know, cutting off the ring. The way I used to think about cutting off the ring is the way you would use your rooks to control ranks and push a push a, um push a piece or push your the king is like the, the main target. But you know, to, to cut off lanes for a a piece to attack, there, there are there are certain tactical ideas that are very similar, but the mindset, nah, man. Like like I'll, I'll take I'll take sitting all day in a, in a chess tournament over sit waiting all night to go on freaking last on a boxing card because right. that's how it is and they not not last but like late man boxing is that i forgot all about that aspect until we started talking <laughs> about it but my amateur career man because they you know they're packing on as many fights as they can because they don't have to pay the fighters uh, but the more fighters you have on the card, the more people pay to see them. So the person hosting the fight makes a lot. And, and, and they're backwards. And I actually don't think it's backwards since since heavyweight fights tend to be a little more violent because you can cause more damage and guys get knocked out more. And so the heavier they are, the more likely that's to happen. And you want to keep people around because if, like, the knockout happens early and then it's the little guys fighting, you get them out. So as an amateur, I spent a lot of time, like, showing up to the arena at, at – 6 o'clock and not going on to like 9 30 really miserable
1: <laughs> honestly that time waiting before the matches that is that really is uh stressful and it's like all the training you put in and all the mental prep and stuff it's like the fight is nothing compared to those last little bits where you just have to wait <laughs> to go walk out have you, uh, have you coached any fighters, too, and been in the corner for any fights? I
2: haven't cornered anyone uh, yet because, you know, I, I've done coaching at, at a few, not at a few gyms, at one gym here locally and then did that for about two years, and, and I really enjoy that aspect of coaching and teaching. I don't know if I'll ever corner someone because that's a huge responsibility. And I know it because over the course of my amateur career, I think I, I was in a very unique position to where I ended up with shit, man. I think I probably had over ten different guys corner me. And you know, some of those were much longer than others, but what you what a what a fighter needs is is a system, right? Not okay, yeah, a system. And the way a system develops is the coach should be able to say certain things and you know what those things mean. And you should be able to just react to him quickly because he's got a different viewpoint than you do. So you need to spend a lot of time around that coach to understand his system and the way he thinks. And to get that to work with you as well. You know, if he catches something and he tells you what to do, you got to be able to trust that he knows what he's talking about as well. That can only happen over time. And I would never want to, um, to come in and give someone, you know, give them all the tools and everything, but that, cause that's only part of it. But they don't, they don't have my brain in the corner because, you know, I got a, other things going on. Now, now, maybe as I, as I move on in my life and take on other things and I feel, or like rather reduce other things and I feel comfortable devoting that time to someone to, to be with them, you know, for, for two to three years and train yeah uh, you know, I could I could easily see myself doing it because I enjoy the coaching aspects so much. it It really is fun. Teaching in general is is, is awesome.
0: We like to get into a little bit of uh, fringe out of the box type things like uh, we like to talk about spirituality and whatnot on this podcast. so if mm-hmm. if you don't mind me asking, I know you've overcame addiction. And I wanted to know, did you take a spiritual approach or do you actively participate in like a spirituality, like a 12 step program? Or I guess what I'm trying to say is what worked for you to kick that demon out of, you know, to to get that to get that monkey off your back.
2: So I got I got lucky, man. I really, you know, I only know that in retrospect. It's not like there there was this this crazy confluence of circumstances and I planned for it. So when I started, when I realized it was like, you know, it, when it was really getting bad, man, I I went away for six months when I enlisted in the army. And, you know, the, the first 10 weeks is basic training. You're not drinking. You just get a lot of time to think because you're not even really supposed to socialize and I mean, like later on. You can find like moments here and there to like chat with people. But, you know, I'm, I enlisted when I was 28, man. Most of these kids are like, you know, like kids, <laughs> 18, 19, got really nothing to talk about. But so I had a lot of time to think um, and reflect. And then I thinking in reflection, I was I just thought about everything that brought me to the point where I was at. And I said, yeah, you know, there's a problem. And then I went went to AIT which is where you go for your advanced uh, you know individual training for your whatever your military occupational specialty is. And while I was there, you know, there's a lot more more freedom. I always say that like that the AIT is like it's like college without the booze pretty much. Like you can't have booze in the in the uh, dorm, you can't drink in uniform. And and if you get a pass to go out base, even if you're not in uniform, if they catch you drinking like and even if you're like of age like I was, you you're not really you you're probably going to get in trouble and and that can be dependent on on the commander that could be anything from just the UCMJ to where they start uh, well, a write up a uniform code of military justice write up uh to where they just go are like boop you're out so I didn't I didn't drink one time I snuck off uh, we went and saw a bad grandpa and bought some some liquor and snuck it into the movie theater to pour it into the um, the sodas but like I didn't really drink. But I made friends that I still have today. And that was the first time uh, in my adult life that I had made friends without alcohol. And that, that's that's really important uh, later in the story, not so much initially. But I started to build an identity without alcohol. And I was like, wow, I'm like, a, I'm like a cool dude, man. Like, I can do this whole, like, socializing and making friends thing without the background. And then when I came back, I went out, I got, like, hammered like December 22nd, and I woke up and I said, yeah, well, this is not gonna work for me anymore. And that's when I really tried to get sober. That's when, that was when I kicked it, right? Or well, that was my first day of not drinking, December 23rd. Wow. Now, what happened in the next few months is key. I was so busy with my life. Like, I was, what was I doing? Okay, so I had to get a job. Uh, I worked at a bank. And then I was in school. That's the reason why I re-enlisted is so I could get money for school. Or not re-enlisted, enlisted. enlisted, So I could get money for school. So I was taking classes. I was still training to fight, to be a professional fighter. By this point, I was 3-0 as a pro. And I still had my military occupational drills for for my guard unit. And I was in a, in a new relationship that's it, still to this day. We got a kid now. It's awesome how these things work. Get your life together.
0: Congratulations.
2: Uh, thank you. He's, he, I can hear him running around out there giving her hell right now. Uh, he's, he's 14 months. Oh boy. But uh, all of this is to say that for the first you know, 16 months of my sobriety, man, I was too busy to even go out and drink if I wanted to. And, and I think that's a really important component that you, you got to fill that hole with something. And I inadvertently filled it with with all of these activities that that simultaneously uh, built up my identity that I had started to develop in um, AIT and basic training to an extent. Where people saw me as this, this person to kind of look up to and respect and, and all that. And I didn't want to tarnish that. And I also kept myself from being tempted by by really being busy. I wasn't going out with my friends because I had no time for that. My my wife doesn't drink. I mean, she sure, okay, she she have like a glass of wine. She's the type of person that'll go buy a bottle of wine or gla- a, a glass because she wants to drink and then forget that she drank, like, leave half of the glass of wine there and forget we've got a bottle and it'll go bad after three months. Like she's that kind of person. So like, I never had to deal with that pressure at home. So my, my environment, my environment and me changed, but, and I had a lot of reinforcement when that happened. I actually went to an AA meeting the first night. And let me tell you something, man, I'm sitting there in the meeting and I'm, and I'm hearing these stories and, and in my arrogance, I was like, I'm not like these people. I got, I I got a problem, but I don't have a problem that bad. And then somebody hit me up like four years in and they were like, hey man, I'm, I'll, I'll be in town and I'd love to see you go get your chip. And so I went to, to the meeting with him and then got my token. And as I'm sitting there, you know, talking around, cause a lot of AA is, it's not full of like old timers. Like, I don't think I've ever been to a meeting where there's like, everyone's got like five, six years of sobriety, unless a lot of people, you know, they're in their first 30 days, mm-hmm. their first uh, few months. And hearing them stories and looking back with a little more um, maturity on it, I was like, man, I'm exactly like everybody here. Like exactly. The only difference is, is I've been I've stuck with my sobriety longer. And here's how. So so there was no like spirituality component to it. And and I didn't use AA in the way that most people would think about it. But that that's what really ended up working out for me is is a happenstance of circumstance. And so. What I tell people when they're talking about getting sober, the first thing I recommend is really a one-two punch. Is is one, you gotta like, you gotta pick up something that's meaningful, not just a hobby, but something that's meaningful that you couldn't do when you were drinking. And you gotta throw yourself under that. And then you also gotta alter your environment uh, you know, you got to get away from the influence because sobriety is a habit just like drinking's a habit. And so if you want sobriety habit to get strong enough to resist drinking, much like, you know, your your drinking habit gets strong enough to resist sobriety in most in most uh, scenarios, then you got to practice it. And after a few months, it'll be so strong. Like, like at this point, if somebody puts some booze in front of me, it would be hard for me to drink the booze. Like uh, I'd look at it and go, "Ah, oh, this what is this?" and smell it, and it would feel terrible. But it's because you know, time and time and now with you know, ten years.
0: You're right. I mean, everything you said is right on. It's so key. I think it's really important for people to realize that. There's no monopoly on recovery. There's no one way to do it. Uh, that way worked for you, and there's no one can take that away from you. It worked for you, so that's awesome, dude. I love it. And we had ten years. That's a that's a big mark, man. I got mine coming up, and I wish you all the best. Oh man, congrats, man.
2: Oh, awesome. thank you. Yeah, it's it's amazing because like I look at I look at my life now and how happy I am and what I have. And I know that none of this would happen if I was still drinking. I wish I could say how I thought because it doesn't feel like thinking, but but it doesn't feel like thinking. I just know how I lived and my inability to reflect and, and take responsibility and, and all that. Like it just, it was a mess of a person, you know, and I wouldn't still be here if I was drinking. I know that because I know how I drank and I know the type of person she is. Mm. And. and you know, she, that's, we, we have a family together and it's been a great, great time. I I couldn't imagine how I'd get anything or have anything. It would be a different life and I, I don't, I'm happy I never went down. I won't say never went down. The, the way I look at it is like, that day on December 23rd, that's my first day of sobriety. I look at that day as like, if we could somehow go backwards in time, what you would see is there's a convergence path and I chose to go down uh, this path of no alcohol as opposed to the other one and that there's a whole timeline of bullshit i'll never have to do it think about encounter because I, I i got it out of there it's not there anymore i i just removed one thing that just caused every other problem
0: same way with me man other than the drugs i mean i was a perfectly good upstanding citizen and uh, yeah you're right man Getting clean has literally given me a life that I can't even dream of. But I wanted to ask you, is there ever been a time in your life, have you maybe seen something that you can't explain, whether it's maybe something in the sky or maybe something that people would describe as a ghost? Do you have any kind of crazy stories like that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if this counts, but, but I... I got to believe. Here's what I believe. I believe I'm, I'm meant to be with the woman I'm meant to be with because when when we first met, we were together for like a month or so, a month or two, and and I was just like I don't think this is good for me. But the reality is it was great for me. I, you know, she was just normal. So I thought she was messed up. That's how messed, messed up people in the world gets. That's funny. So I broke man. it off. And don't you know that for the next man it must have been like three four weeks where every time we were we were in the vicinity my phone told me facebook used to have this like you know you can see when someone is in your vicinity it used to tell me when we were in the vicinity of one another and finally one day we ended up at the same restaurant for lunch a restaurant neither of us ever go to and and it started telling me that like hey she's around and i wouldn't you know talk to her and made up and and fix some stuff and so it's it's an interesting thing the way that works is that and and then because of that a lot of these experiences are like with her because uh like like where we live now we had to move because we we had a kid and we were living in an apartment and we loved our apartment but that's just not going to work for a um a new kid. So we're looking around, all around. And we're getting more and more honed in on, on what we want. Uh because, you know, there's a there's a clock coming up because that, that place we were at, man, they're like sharks. They were like, you gotta be out by this day, or we're gonna charge you five hundred dollars plus uh extra plus the market rate of the rent. god <laughs> damn man, just let it like can we and if we leave early, there's no early leave and nothing. They just they, they get every dime out of you. But we we looked at this place and they said no pets where we're living now. And so she wrote to them and said, "Hey, well, what would you think about a cat?" And they wrote back with the the, the snarkiest reply. The guy said, "We got on, we 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 got a few applications in already. We'll let you know if anything changes. All right." In other words, saying we don't need to make a concession for you and your cat. We have enough people who don't have pets. Well, well, we said, all right, whatever. And then we go and looked at this place that was like, it was going to work, but neither of us would have been really happy with it, but it would have worked. And so we sent them a message and we said, all right, we're in. They took a week to get back to us. And then when they finally got back to us, they said, we're a bit worried about your income because you guys are both self-employed. She has a travel agency business. And and they're like, is there any way you can like prove? And I'm like, we can show you bank statements. I mean, I don't know what else you want. And they took forever to get back to us. And while while we're taking forever to get back to us, her sister decides to help out and look and sends us the same place that we asked about the cat on. We were like, oh, you know, we already looked at it. And Anna catches something on it. And she goes, I think this is a, it's written a little different. And so she writes a message uh, to him. And and the guy goes, Yeah, I think I could make something work if it's just a cat. And I'm like, What? So it was yeah. it was um it was random, so it turns out somebody had took over the listing for me, he didn't know, and then it, her sister happened to randomly get involved, see the same place, and uh and it, it's perfect, like like in terms of everything that we, we wanted. It is it is uh perfect. And and it, it only showed up like if we had got the place we wanted initially and they weren't like being weird about our self-employed income we would have had a place to live but we wouldn't have liked it but now we're like we really like it here and we're very happy uh so, so there's just like these like random coincidences because like i don't I, n- I never say i'm a non-believer right of ghosts or anything like that what i say is that there's nothing in science that says they can't exist. And I don't have any experience with, with the spooks, right? I just, I just don't have it, right? I do have a lot of experience with like these weird little things that don't ever happen again. And the stars would have to be really perfect for them to even happen in the first place. And uh, when they do, they they benefit us and benefit me tremendously. And so I, I have to believe that I'm here for to just so many ways. I mean, you, you, just stories from addiction. Like, I, you know, I've been pulled over uh, while I was drinking and driving. I've been pulled over on four separate occasions. And, and each time it just, you know, uh, for whatever reason, they were like, go home. One, and then one of the times I was pulled over, the guy was like, I, I took the test and he said you're probably a little over the limit, but we're gonna let you get out of here tonight. Hmm. And I'm just like, huh, and and you know, good on them, you know, they, 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 for for letting me go. I mean, or maybe bad, depending. But but I can't imagine. I have to believe that I've been I've been spared. From the worst parts of my decisions for a, a reason, and that's how that get, you know ties into my spirituality in that regard. I I, I 100% believe because because there's no other explanation. Other, either that or I'm the luckiest motherfucker like on the planet, and I just I just don't buy it. Like <laughs> you know, so so that's that's how that goes, man. I feel like my life is being guided, and and the more I I surrender, I don't want to say surrender to that guidance. The more i understand that there's a, a purpose and i move as if there's a, a purpose greater than just what i what i want to get out of things uh the more i seem to get from life
1: yeah i love all that i think the uh the synchronicities and the little small things even though they don't seem you know so supernatural or whatnot at, at the time like you said you feel like it's being guided in a direction and yeah the more you are open to that the more it kind of pops up and stuff and Mike kind of beat me to it to segue into the ghosts and the weird stuff that we like to get into on this show. But I was going to (laughs) say, I don't know if you guys know that the word alcohol comes from the word al or al-ghul, which means body eating spirit in uh, Arabic. And uh, they call, you know, like at liquor stores or whatever, it'll be like wine and spirits, liquor and spirits. So sometimes they think that, you know, there's a spirit associated with drinking and it'll, you know, make you do things you wouldn't normally do as if you were under the influence of something else, but, uh,
0: that's crazy. Kind of
1: steer things in a different route. So I remember you said you were very anti-college, but, uh, you have a physics degree. Yeah. So you, you ended up changing your mind and getting back into that. So to kind of put a different spin on that, is there anything you've kind of learned while studying physics that might not be common knowledge or made you question the nature of reality or, you know maybe preconceived notions that
2: some people have like flatters you, <laughs> oh, oh, you, you know i i i spend a lot of time it's like okay so i don't i don't argue with people's opinions because it's your opinion i i don't even care if you present your opinion as fact but once i recognize it, it's how you feel i don't i don't really care right because we all can feel how we want to feel that's what makes the world great but the flat earthers, man, I, I go round for round because, I, because you know what? Well, we've known the, the world has not been flat for a very long time, like a long time, <laughs> man. And, 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 and so for like this to be the thing that people harp on is like beyond me. And they're really simple experiments you can do. To, to kind of prove this you, you know you gotta understand math a little but not not like higher level math you know they did it in uh, Egypt a thousand years ago before there was technology and then you can do the same thing like it, all you got to do is like go to a basketball quarter and look at the shadow throughout the day and then go back and see it happen again and understanding what a cycle looks like when you graph it in two dimensions where you go oh we must be on a circle um but th- that's neither here nor there. Uh, it, as far as like things that I have seen, one of the or, or learned really that, that had a, an impact in my life. When you when you study, okay, so so there's a relationship, uh, a squared plus b squared equals c squared. A lot of people know that as like the Pythagorean theorem, and and they they know it, but they're like they like, oh, what's that good for triangles? Well, well, it turns out that relationship shows up in everything from statistics, to probability, to general relativity, to quantum mechanics. And it is, it, you know, the first time you see it, you're like, okay, the second time you see it, you're like, huh, and you keep seeing it, and you realize that like, the universe seems to be built on these these fundamental laws that are like really weird. Like really weird, like the way. uh, And I'm going somewhere with this other than just pointing out these 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 laws. All right, are like the way electricity behaves, or the way a charge behaves in electricity is no different than the way uh, mass behaves in in a gravitational field. Or the way a charge uh, a charged particle behaves in an electric field is how a particle with mass behaves in a gravitational field. Cool stuff. Right? And I'm just like, what is this? It's like the universe was designed with intent. There they, they they aren't just coincidences because, you know, or they could be, right? Of course they could be coincidences, or I could be reading too much into it. That's always possible, right? I don't think I am. And so what, what that makes me feel is that even if you don't if you don't have a thought process that says you know, God is a specific entity that exists in the sky or something like that. You know, it's very hard for me to buy that the universe is the universe we live in is just a random assortment that happened to spontaneously organize itself, which like goes against everything we well, you know. Like, like order does not happen uh, spontaneously over time. It's it's the reverse, right? The the things get disordered. And so you you see that and you look at the universe, and it is just—it's uh, hard for me to believe this universe wasn't designed. And then from that point, I make the natural leap that there's got to be a creator. Now, do I believe he's a benevolent creator? I don't—I don't think he gives a damn. That's—but that's my spiritual stuff creeping in, I guess, uh, my spiritual bias. But but I definitely believe that there is a creator that is responsible that everything kind of flows from. And, and whether you call that God or I actually don't know what else you would call it uh, in terms of our language. You know, I hear people use the source something like that. I've heard that. But that's uh That's the deal. The, what we're physics and what I've seen and how that's helped me or uh, really has led me to become a more spiritual person. Yeah, I love that because a lot of people seem to nowadays
1: kind of, you know, draw a line between science and spirituality and consider them two totally separate things but oh that's crazy
2: man to consider those two things separate is is to not know both well enough at all i love that Mm -hmm. And and i think yeah i think i think that's a lot of times what what you see manifested i mean it's you know when you when you argue with somebody about the existence of God, right? Whether they're agnostic or atheist, right? And there, there are weaknesses in both arguments. But the point is uh, that I'm bringing up is that they typically have not thought about the next. They, they they attack they attack the straw man version of the argument, right? And the straw man version of the argument centers around like, you know, why would God let these things happen if He's benevolent? And I go, you know, I in this respect i agree with neil degrasse tyson and he said that like yeah you, you gotta assume that he's either not all powerful or not all good and i'm like yeah that, you know the bible even says he's not all good or all powerful i mean the old testament bible with god was raining bullshit on people it's crazy but all of this is i, I say i that to say that like typically a person attacks that idea and they don't attack the real idea which is you know is it possible that there's something greater than yourself that all of this comes from that is an argument that that stumps a lot of a lot of people who like to attack the idea of of there not being a creator and then when you do that, right, uh, to, to you know, even to make the argument, oh, entropy, right, that that's a fine one. You got to at least understand entropy. Now you can you can come up with a different argument, but at least be able to counter my point to it. Uh, or, or don't like you know, let's not talk about a man in a sky, but let, let's just you know talk about why religion, because like then there was the the argument that like a lot of evil is done in the name of religion. Well, a lot of good has been done in the name of it too. Like, it, I'm not saying that it's good or bad. I'm saying that that's no reason to discard it because you, you, you're not going to discard the good stuff, right? You're gonna you're gonna focus on the the bad stuff because that's what's been uh, when you approach it from a, this this childlike thing. It's like when you're a kid, and your mom forces you to go to church. You know, you don't want to go, so you think about. It, so your your arguments are childlike in that regard that you only go, "Well, I don't want to deal with this, uh, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna embrace it or understand it." And, and I'm not, you know, trying to convert anyone. That's that's never my goal. I, and I'm probably not even the best guy to even try and do that. All I like to do is present good arguments and look at the, kind of the best possible way I could look at something and use it to benefit me. And I think there's a lot. I think religion has uh, has an incredible ability to do that. Uh, and lack of it, people are gonna believe in something. Uh, and so, if you remove something that did, makes you become better, you then you end up with people worshiping shit like the pasta man. I wish I was making that up. You
0: know? Yeah, I wish you were too. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> go, going back, uh, you know, to what you were saying about, it looks like there's definitely an intelligent design behind this. You mentioned some of the things that kind of give you that the reasoning. And another one is the um, the golden ratio. We seem to see that everywhere in nature, too. Right. Almost like it's a simulation, you know? Do you, Have you ever thought about that at all?
2: I have thought about the simulation theory, right? And and I have arguments back and forth with this all the time. So, okay, if we are in a simulation or, or we're not, you know, what's the implication of it? If we're in a simulation versus not, or, or rather, what can we do about it <laughs> is, is how I look at the problem. Because all right, right, like because to me, like arguing that there is an afterlife or something like that, or, or the existence of God, I think that's a, a, a much more interesting argument. Because if the, if there is God, right, yeah, maybe you should act a little better, right, where you live. It's like the Faustian, uh, what is that, the Faustian bargain, maybe, or something like that. Not Faust, uh, where where it goes, uh, if there isn't a God,
0: Pascal wager. Uh...
2: Pascal wager, that's what it is. I'm thinking of the one where you, the soul, yeah, it's Pascal's wager exactly, where if, if there isn't a God and you act right, you know, the worst case scenario is that, that you act right. But if there is a God and you act like shit, well, there's going to be some hell how to, how to pay literally after life. So th- that argument is interesting to me, okay? Mm, me too. But the simulation argument, well, what can I do about it? Like, well, how will it change how I live, whether we're in one or not? right you know now right i, I try to think about it there's, there's nothing so so i i think it's interesting in the sense that you know that that would explain some hard limits right like the speed of light seems to be a hard limit that we can't even get close to but that's just me you know nerd now thinking of of interesting ideas, but but I don't, I never give the, con- the simulation argument quite a give it give it much thought because there's no there's no heart. It, it it's it's like arguing the existence of, of God, but it removes the responsibility that would come with accepting or denying. But it removes kind of how your life would change, if you um regardless of the con- uh, with which conclusion you reach. So I don't I don't really think about it. <laughs>
0: i'm with you on the pascals wager man to me that is the most satisfying and best argument to believe in a higher power because it's like okay i might as well right i got nothing to lose so yeah I'm,
2: nothing to lose
0: nothing to lose mine as well
2: but you but you know what people feel like they lose they feel like they lose the freedom to be degenerate assholes. Mm. like that's how i feel mm. um well, whether it's that's accurate or not, I'm sure someone will hear this and be like, "You're wrong, right?" And I, I, I could be. It's my opinion, but I think like when you are forced to take a responsibility, responsibility changes you. Awareness changes you. You have to look at it's like it's like, it's like drinking. You know why drinking is is appealing a lot of times because. Because if, when you're under the influence, your behavior is excused, or at the very least, there's an ex- it, there is an excuse for it. Now, whether they, mm-hmm. someone buys it, like if you run over somebody while you're drinking or versus sending a text, both of them done to the influence, one of them, you can get a pass on the other, not so much, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but either way, you know, we'd like to old Jamie Foxx on, blame it on the alcohol. It removes responsibility because you numb yourself to the truth of your 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 surroundings and your behavior. Uh, it's the same idea if you get to go. There's there's nothing greater. You go okay. Well, let's just let's just you know run on a hedonistic treadmill and enjoy the decline kind of deal Taking no responsibility for ourselves because none of it matters.
1: Spirit of alcohol. That's our excuse. For- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, it was the spirits. That's great. Mm-hmm. It's been a been a great talk thanks ed
2: no oh, this was great, hey thank dude. you guys i don't know you know what's funny man i uh for all of 2023 i was i was working on my book and i said i'm not doing podcast so so my, my wife was like i was about to cook some steaks and she was like don't you got a podcast and i was like oh let's write them off my so you know because because my, my my motto i love talking to people and i think i think that's a lot to be gained so i just you know Let's kind of go on anyone's show. And I'll, I'll sometimes do research, but not usually. And and I'm always happy when it turns out to be such a great conversation. And this was a great conversation.
0: So yeah, we covered a lot of different things there, dude. I uh, I really liked it. He seems like a dude that I could definitely like go smoke a joint with and just chill.
1: Yeah, super easy to talk to. And uh, I like when we have the rather intellectual guests on that will kind of confirm or play along with some of the wilder topics or, you know, they're in a similar train of thought of other guests and stuff, it just it's more digestible for skeptical minds, if you will.
0: Yeah, there's no fluff to him. He he is a he's not a guy that believes in a lot of crazy shit. You know, I threw out the flat earth thing and, you know, he he laughed it off. And uh yeah, you know, I'm with him on a lot of things. I, I like a lot of his thoughts on addiction. I think he is in the minority about being able just to drop it cold turkey like that and he realized that at a young age so i think you know as he even said he was lucky in that regard so yeah i really liked a lot of what he was putting out there dude smart guy love to have him back on when his book's out and he's doing that massive media blitz that you gotta do for a book ed Lattimore, good fucking guy like we said earlier on trying to build a community of like-minded individuals so if you want to be a part of that you could be one of the very first conspiracy and chill syndicate members by going to patreon and joining the syndicate something you can do to help the podcast out tremendously and it doesn't cost you anything just go on whatever platform you're listening to us on give us a five star review even if you haven't listened to us yet just go and give us one because you're probably gonna feel that way in the end anyway that's what i'm thinking so uh yeah do all those things like us love us follow us subscribe x instagram youtube all that good shit and uh what else brother
1: oh that's pretty much it if you are enjoying it then uh that's our transactional uh ask you get some fun conversations and some some good information we get our uh five star review that's our our mutual deal here huh
0: that's fair and you could also be one of the very first conspiracy and chill syndicate members because we have a free tier so i mean it's like why the fuck not why wouldn't you kind of like pascal's wager that we talked about a little bit earlier in the in the conversation with ed right it's a win-win stay away from child molesters